Okay, get situated up here really quick. For those of you who do not know me, I'm Daniel Reister. I've been attending this church for a year and a half, almost two years, something like that. Um, and Scotty is out of town this week, and so you're, you got me this week. So, so, yeah, so I've got some, some things to share with you today, but we're just going to go ahead and um, um, jump right in. So today I really want to spend some time exploring a question, and the question we explore today is what does it mean to meet and walk with God in the valleys of our lives? So when I say valleys, what, what am I talking about? I'm sure you've had many things come to mind as soon as I said that word, but I'm going to supply a definition today that we're going to use as we walk through our passage. So valleys, I'm considering a place of suffering, confusion, pain, or hurt when the world seems to be caving in around us. When the world seems to be caving in around us, it's a time in which that we feel that everything is out of our control. We can't change the circumstances. So that's what I'm calling a valley. And oftentimes, when I think of a valley, my mind automatically jumps to the big things, right? It's that death of somebody we love very, very much that puts us into a valley. It's those struggling relationships in our families. And no matter how much we strive for better relationship with the ones we love, things just seem to get worse and worse and worse. You know, it's that day when you walk in and you found out that you lost your job. Or maybe it's that time when you went to a normal doctor's appointment and the doctor walks back in and he says, Look, your health is failing you and there's nothing we can do. Right? These are things, these are big valleys. Some of these might be valleys that you've experienced in your own life or are experiencing in your own life now. These are just a few examples of what they could be. But I noticed as I was thinking about valleys in my life, I started to lose focus because the big ones kind of shoved all the little ones out of the way. But there are a lot of little valleys that we face in our life every day that sometimes go unnoticed. But they affect us the same, and we deal with them the same in a lot of the same ways. The magnitude is just different. So I started thinking about small valleys in life. You know, it's those times when you're starting a project around the house, and things really just didn't go as planned. You know, it's when you get to the grocery store and you're almost inside, and you realize, oh, I left my phone in my car. So you walk back. And you're like, oh, I left it next to my keys while I was getting my kid out of their car seat. And the doors are locked now. You know, it's that long day, you've been working all day, and you've like, I've got this appointment, and I have to be at it at this time. And you hop in your car, and you turn the key, and the gas light comes on, because the last person to drive it didn't take the time to stop and fill up with gas. Right? Little valleys affect us emotionally very similar to the way that large valleys do. But they can be harder to see and identify in our lives. So I want to just kind of keep those two things in focus that those things are both at play in our lives as we dive into the passage today. That this passage in Psalms applies to the large valleys and the small valleys. 
But before we get into the psalm, into the scripture reading today, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story from my own life, and there's going to be a picture that comes up on the screen here. That's me about four, four and a half years ago when I was graduating from college. I had been in school, I had been studying hard, I was super excited, I was studying and I am now a machinist and I was studying machining in school and I was super excited to finally take all this stuff I was doing in the classroom and you want to know the reality? I was excited because I was going to get paid to do it now, (laughs) right? I was going to get paid to do it now. So this year was probably a great highlight year in my life. I would gauge this as one of my top years in my life, this transition period. A lot of really cool things. You can see my, my family around there came, came to see me graduate, which was great. But something else happened around this transition period. A new emotion started to form inside of me, and it took deep root. I couldn't see it at the time. Looking back now, I see it more than I saw it then, for I wasn't seeing what emotion was taking root in my life. In fact, it started to drive my thoughts and desires over the coming years. And we'll see that as the story progresses. So what was this feeling, this emotion that started to well up inside me that I had never felt at this strength before? I started to feel... Lonely. I started to notice, which seems ridiculous, right? Because I've got family around me and I've got friends, but still sometimes I feel lonely. I became abundantly aware in this story of how single I was, and I didn't particularly like it. I didn't particularly like it. This started to influence me in ways that I wasn't seeing then, but I see more clearly now. And I didn't even identify this as a valley in my life until recently, which started me down the process of exploring it further and trying to understand how to deal with it. It started to shape the way that I would pray to the Lord. Slowly, my prayers started to become modeled around this emotion that became rooted in my heart. Right? My prayers looked more and more like, God, I really want a relationship. I really want to be dating somebody, not providing that for me. Right? They looked like, God, if you love me, you will provide this for me. And it became a wrestling match and a point of tension between me and God. We keep fast forwarding a little bit, and I kept praying prayers like that, and years went by, and nothing seemed to change. It was quite discouraging in a lot of ways. But then maybe a year or two years later, as I've dug into my work, I've noticed something else start to happen. I started to develop unhealthy work patterns. Now, what I'm not saying is that this was the sole reason for my development of unhealthy work patterns. But this was certainly a part I would be amiss to not tell you that a sense of loneliness started to drive me to an addiction to my job right? The hours that I put in just to put in hours at work, to be the first one in and the last one gone, to work on the weekends and all of those things. This valley, this feeling played a role and I didn't even see it at the time. The funny thing about this feeling of loneliness of what I'm talking about is that it's sometimes stronger than others. It's one of those that really goes up and down, but it never really goes away. 
So what happened is I started an unhealthy habit and I dug myself deeper and deeper in a hole in a direction that I didn't want to go and didn't even realize that I was going. I was medicating one of the problems by filling up my schedule. But the funny thing is, is God didn't say, you're, you're out of here. He started doing something in my heart a couple years, about a year, year and a half ago, and he brought me new friends, and he brought me a new mentor, and people to speak into my life, and it started to shape me again. God brought about people that helped to shape me in this time, to help me see the changes that needed to happen. So I came to a place where my prayers started to change again. You'll notice there's a lot of transitions around where prayers start to change. So my prayers started to change again, and I said, God, the reality is, is my work is more important to me than you. I wish that you would change that emotion inside of me. I wish that you would change my heart, that I would desire relationship with you as much as I'm desiring excellence in my work. And God started a slow work and started changing things in my heart. And as things start to change in your heart, your actions eventually start to follow. I don't say this as it's a completed process. I say God has just begun changing things in my heart. And it's been an amazing journey and I hope it continues further and further into the heart of the Lord. But once I started stepping back out of this unhealthy work habit and changing my actions, this loneliness came back stronger than ever before. Came back stronger than ever before. I now understand, I can say, the Lord is with me and I understand that, but it didn't change the fact and it doesn't change the fact that I still feel lonely sometimes. It doesn't change my frustrations with God. It doesn't change these things, and so it becomes a struggle. So what are you supposed to do? Now, I wish I could tell you the end to this story, but I don't have an end to this story because this is part of my life which I walk every day. This is part of my life which I walk every day. But at the time this started four, four and a half years ago, I didn't realize how a simple feeling could affect my relationship with God. So that's the start of the story. Maybe someday I'll tell you an end to that story. I don't know. But now I want to transition and I want to read in Psalm 4 and see what David has to tell us about walking in the valleys of our lives. And I'm, I'm reading out of um, the ESV version for anybody who, who is curious. It says this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? 
Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. These are the words that David wrote in Psalms 4. So I want to jump right in and we're going to start to pick apart this passage and find what David has to tell us about getting started and walking with God in the valleys of our lives. So the first thing that comes to me when I start to pick apart this passage is right at the beginning. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief. You've given me relief. So David's highlighting God's promise to us that God gives us relief in our time of distress. So where do we find, where can we find in the Lord? We'll look at a few places here really quick. I often think of, when I think about trying to find confidence in the Lord, I look at biblical history, right? The stories that we get to read the end of. We can be sometimes encouraged by these because we can see where God had worked through a difficult situation to bring about good, where he had worked in a situation to form somebody, and they can be encouraging. We can look at personal history sometimes and see where God's come through for us in the past before, which can also be helpful and encouraging. But here's the deal is these very things that sometimes can be encouraging sometimes cause the most tension. Because sometimes when we look at the Bible and we read about these people and we say it worked out for them, how is it ever going to work out for me? Or we look at our life and we say, God, you helped me back here. What's up now? Because what I'm walking in is really, really difficult and I really, really dislike it. So those very points that sometimes can give us confidence in the Lord and that he provides relief can also discourage us. So I want to look at this word relief a little more. I want to look at the word relief a little more. Because... When I originally was reading this, I think my mind jumped automatically to a large kind of relief of which, like, and then I define that as relief. Removal from a situation isn't the same as relief from a situation. Although, I tied it there in my head when I read this. I said, well, that would be the best kind of relief I could think of. So what could relief look like in our times of struggle? It can, look in, it can come in the form of an encouraging conversation that you weren't expecting to have. It can be that time when you're sitting at your Bible and you're reading through a book in the Bible that you've read many, many times before and something just jumps out and there's no other way to explain what happens than your soul has been soothed. It can look like a provision of a good night's sleep in a time of high anxiety. It can look like a letter from a friend. Oh, do people still get letters from friends? A letter or text message from a friend. It could be a letter or text message from a friend at just the right time. The friend who didn't know what you were going through or what struggles you were facing, but it just seemed like they said the right things. These are just some examples of relief that we can receive from the Lord in our times of struggle. 
So now I want to jump on a little further down the road because David gives us kind of five very practical things to do. Five very practical things we can do in our times of valley. And it's great because we love practical things that we can do. We like to be active in that sense. So I'm going to read this section. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So let's dig into these five things individually. So we'll start at the beginning. It says, be angry and do not sin. I really like this part because it gives permission. It gives permission to be unhappy about the thing that's happening or things that are happening in your life. It gives you permission to be frustrated, to even be discouraged. But there's a caveat there, and I'm sure we all see what it is. But how do we reckon it out? It says, be angry, but do not sin. So how are we angry, but don't sin? So in our anger and our frustration, turning your back on God is not the option. It's not what we want to do. So it's there to have permission to feel those feelings because regardless of how hard we try, we hit places in life where we feel those feelings. But the call is to not sin in those things. Next it says to ponder in your own hearts on your bed. In a lot of ways, I really like this one because I like to sit and think. And so that's exactly what this is. This is permission and encouragement, direction to spend time considering, dwelling on the circumstance that we're standing in, to think about it. So it's okay to spend time thinking about it. We don't want to deny the things that we walk through. But here's the warning with this. Like all things, it seems that there's always a warning that goes along with it. And the warning here is beware of being consumed in your pondering. So when I was telling my story, I told, I told this story, the, the, the part where I started these unhealthy work habits. Or, sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm telling the wrong part of the story. In my story, I, I told about how singleness and a desire to not be single and loneliness started to affect and shape my relationship with God, right? That part where I said it started to shape my prayers. I was slowly being consumed by the desires in my heart. I was slowly being consumed because it became the thing that I was thinking about all the time. Um, and, and it slowly clouded my heart, and I saw less and less God, and I saw more and more of what I wanted, okay? Saw more and more of what I wanted. So it's okay to ponder, but don't be consumed in your pondering by what you are pondering. This next part, be silent. When I read this, Over and over again, I kept linking the words, be silent and ponder, which I guess logically makes sense because we're often quiet when we ponder things. We're often sitting alone. In fact, this says here to ponder in your own hearts on your bed. So you're like, well, so I just need to do it in silence. But I think there's something more here. I think it's a separate point altogether. It's a separate point altogether. 
it's about acknowledging relationship with God. So being silent to me as I was reading through this and I was looking at my own life, part of being silent is to sit before the Lord and to try to think of nothing but the Lord. It's like when you sit with somebody you love, and you kind of run out of words to say, but it's okay. Just sitting there with them in silence is showing that you care for them and love them. And so, to me, this is part of how we acknowledge and how we, how we cherish our relationship with God. Time to sit and be silent before God. This part I found as, is one of the hardest parts, at least for me, of this process. Because as soon as I try to sit down and be silent, I think about, what's for dinner? What went good at work today? What, uh, what projects am I working on? And the list goes on. You have your own things that swim into your mind when you sit and try to be silent. And so this part, although it's a simple word, I think is super important, but also very difficult in a lot of ways. So next it says here, to offer right sacrifice. And this is the part when I read it, I always feel the most detached from. Because I'm reading in the Old Testament, and I know that the laws around sacrifice has changed since Jesus has come and all of these things has happened. But I still am reading this, and I still have to believe that it's for a purpose, that there was a reason that this was written in here that still applies to me. And so this is the part I struggle with the most when I read it. I'm like, I feel disconnected. But let's see if we can try to connect it some more. So what was sacrifice in the Old Testament? And I'm not the most knowledgeable on all things sacrifice. And so I'll struggle through this a little bit. But as I was being guided in the creation of this, I had some discussions. And so what is sacrifice? It's the practice that marked the believers as believers in the Old Testament. It's something that they did. It was something that they did because God told them to do it. Right? It was their submission and obedience to God. Okay, so these are words we can work with because we understand submission and obedience to God, right? It's about following God's instruction in our life. It's about following God's instruction in our life, even when it's difficult and we don't really want to. When the valleys came to stretch on, and it's really, really hard. It looks like submitting our will to God. It looks like reading His Word. Studying His Word. Not just because we enjoy it or we think we're supposed to, but because we're doing something God told us to do because he told us to do it. It can look like engaging in corporate worship, coming together as the body of Christ, as a family. It can look like sharing your journey with the people around you, right? Called to do this journey together as believers, it can also, and this is where my mind always goes first when I think of um, sacrifice, is confession of sins. Now what I want to make sure we don't do here, and I don't want you to misunderstand, is that sin in our life doesn't equal the valleys, okay? Don't, don't make those equal to one another. They can be, sin is a part of it. 
Sin can be a part of it. They can drive us deeper into valleys and sometimes they can even start them because when we start to turn our back on God, things start to get out of control. So I just wanted to make sure that we're clear that confession of sins is crucial and it's something that we need to assess our current state for, but it's not equivalent to the valleys, okay? It's not equivalent to the valleys. I want to look back at these two points here really quick, the engaging in corporate worship and sharing your journey, because I think those are, are easy to read over real quick, but hard to, um, but hard to maybe really, really grasp in a, in a way. Because oftentimes with personality, so I'll speak to my personality, is when I'm struggling with something, I want to pull away. I don't want to be around people. I don't, I'd, li- I'd rather be alone. Sometimes I would prefer the mindset of God and I can handle this. But that's not really what he said in his word, is it? He said to come together to share your journey. So in a sense, I sacrifice what I want to be obedient to God. Now it can happen the other way too, I think. Sometimes when we're in a time of difficulty, it's really easy for us to just want to be around people and to really vent what's happening in our lives. And as we saw, there's a certain amount of that that's okay in the be angry and do not sin. But sometimes we go too far and then we don't do these other steps of ponder and be silent in our valleys. And so just as you look at these, think about what balance looks like, think about what your tendencies are, and then go back to the word of the Lord and see if they align with what he's called us to do. This last one, we're just going to hit briefly because we're going to talk about it again later, but it says, trust in the Lord. Doesn't that roll off the tongue easy? Isn't that an easy thing to stand up here and say? But the problem is, It's not something that we always feel. It's not something that we always feel inside. And so we're going to explore that in the next couple of sections, but I just want you to be aware, like, I believe this word is incredibly important, but I also want to acknowledge that this word is one that sometime might be too easy to say. So, let's move on to our third point for today as we dig into the benefit of the doubts. So what does he say here in Psalm 4, verse 6? David says this, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, Lord. The doubts. God, where is the good around me? God, what's the purpose in my current situation? God, Why aren't you coming through for me? God, are you actually there? And are you seeing what's happening? And the list goes on and on. The doubts that come into our minds, the ones that we can't stop, right? We can't just stop doubt from coming into our mind, as nice as that would be sometime. So we have to deal with them. So sometimes we could want to maybe shove them down and not give them the light of day. But I think, I think a little differently now as I've been digging into this and looking at my past life. And the, I'm starting to see maybe the importance of giving light to our doubts. 
give your doubts a voice, not in a hopelessness nature, but give your doubts a voice. Because the process of examining and working through your doubts are often the very processes that are growing you the most. So don't ignore them. And don't just let them pass by or try to forget them or feel bad for having them. But dig into them and try to understand them. Try to learn where they come from. Work with the Lord in prayer. Walk with one another in your times of difficulty. When you have doubt, tell your friend. When you have doubt, tell Jesus when you pray. Who will show us some good? Sometimes we will ask that. But David says, the Lord, that's who's going to show you some good. The Lord's face upon you, that is good. So let's look at point four now as we continue down through this passage. I want to talk about examining our expectations. He says this, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Put more joy in my heart than they have when grain and wine abound. Because it can be easy to look around us and become discouraged see things happening in other people's lives that seem far better than what we're experiencing. To look at our past and be discouraged because things are so much more difficult than they were. So I, I want to acknowledge like discouragement, that's a real hard thing to face, right? But some of that sometimes in my story came from a need to re-examine. And what David says here is that he has joy, although the people around him have grain and wine abounding. So in a sense, he's got probably some difficult times, but he has joy. Hmm. So then I kind of zeroed in on this grain and wine abound, and I was thinking back to some of my story. And when I told the story, I said I, I jumped into these unhealthy work habits. But what made it more difficult, especially when it was time to kick the habits, is the fact that they felt really good, right? You know, all the things that you dream about when you're sitting in writing 121 class and you're like, why did I need this again to be a machinist? And so you're dreaming and you're like, oh, you know, it's going to be great. I'm going to get promotions. I'm going to be paid. You know, and then those things start to happen. And those were my dreams. You know, I'm working all this hours. I get promotions. I get good pay. You know, I have coworkers who are praising me for my work. My boss is very happy with me. These are good in one sense. My grain and wine abound. Yeah, my grain and wine abound. But then I go back for the re-examine because something bad was happening in it. And I look back and I start to see, I slowly attach earthly, um, I slowly attach earthly success to God's love for me, okay? We got to separate those things. Earthly success is not equivalent to God's love because what do we know about God from reading the Bible? What do we know about God from his work in our lives and the people around us? That God is constant. That his love never fails and is always the same. 
but somewhere along the line, by not re-examining my current situation, I slowly start to link and make something of my of it of myself and say, "Wow, I must be doing what God wants because I'm experiencing blessing." So when I start to think about the valleys, I start to get encouragement when I read this because I realize that God is constant through it all. Again, something easy to say, but by re-examining, I start to see. So right at the end of the passage, here we are, we're kind of arriving at the end of this, this chunk as we explore this question walking with God in the valleys of our lives. And it's this, receiving rest in the Lord. So what does it say at the very end? In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So we're back to this idea of trust in the Lord. So what does trust look like in the Lord? Because we've already defined that trust might be something that's sometimes easy to say and sometimes hard to say. But whatever it is, it's certainly hard to live every day. So where do we go when our trust isn't there, when our trust is failing us? There's an importance for community in all of this. The importance of having peers and mentors who you're in deep relationship with, who you've actively been forming relationship with over years. There's an importance to that because when it's hard to trust, those are the people who come along beside you and say, let me help you. Let me encourage you. Now, they're not always going to have the answers and they're certainly not going to always tell you what you want to hear. But it's still important all the same. And why is it important? Because it's something that God asked us to do in our walk with him. Then it says to lie down in peace. To lie down in peace knowing that God is there for you. And to wait patiently in our valleys. And why do we need to wait patiently as I struggled with this idea Because oftentimes in valleys, they go longer than we want them to. We didn't want them to start in the first place. They go longer than we want them to. So what's up? What's happening? I want to just look at an attribute of God really quick. The attribute of God is that he's an author. That he's writing things, right? In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into existence. God is an author, And part of his authorship is writing a story inside your life. So the question is, is as you walk through the valleys of life with the Lord, are you going to let him form you in your valleys? Or are you going to be paralyzed by your current situation? But in all of this process, as we've just started to uncover what could be inside this question of walking with God in the valleys, there's a responsibility that we carry in all this. There's a responsibility that we carry. You, many of you may have picked it up, but we don't do it alone. We don't, we don't say, we've got this. We can work our way through the valley by ourselves. And we don't sit back and say, wow, 
I'm in a valley, God. You better take care of this. Um, no, it's a partnership. It's a journey, right? It's a journey that's forming us. And what does our partnership often look like? Our partnership looks like prayer. How important is it that we pray about all the things that are happening in our life and we pray truthfully to God about what we're feeling and then give Him time to speak and to work and to move. So David in Psalms 4 reminds us of a lot of these attributes of God. These things that God is for us in our valleys It's probably not a lot of new information, but it's good to go back and look. And what we learn is that there's no five-step process that makes it better. Sorry. I wish. Sometimes I wish. But then I think also that I'd be cheating myself of the forming that God's actually doing in my life. It reminds us that we have to take time to reassess our current situation. And sometimes that reassessing is every day. Especially when the valleys drag on from days to weeks to months to years. We have to explore why should we actually trust God. Especially in the valleys. When the doubts come up, we have to actually engage in exploring and trying to understand why do we trust God. We do that on our own, with God in prayer, in the word. We do that with one another, with our friends, our close mentors. And then this passage pushes us to come before the Lord and to sit before the Lord when we start to feel defeated. Just some of the things that this passage does for us. So that's where we're going to end our examination and, and digging into this question of where is God in the valleys, but in a lot of ways it's only the start, right? A lot of these things should push us further and cause more questions, which we need to dig into. But what I want to do today is pray this psalm over you as encouragement, kind of as we come to a close. So the words will be up on the screen if you would like to follow along and read it with me. But I also invite you, if you would like to just receive it, to sit in silence and receive it. But I ask that we would all put our hands out, palms facing up, as a gesture of receiving what the Lord has for us today. And it's different for everybody. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. 
there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety.